Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, the feast was going to be the event of the, of the year. It was going to be a huge celebration for the son of the king was getting married. Yes, Jesus was using this idea of a wedding in the parable he told to teach those around him about the kingdom of God. The parable went something like this. Well, we just read it, but I'm going to go through with a little bit of additional commentary. So there was this king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Because the invitations came from the king, one would expect a positive response to the invitation. Something went terribly wrong. For the king sent out his servants to call those who were invited. Notice that? They were the ones that were invited to the wedding. But they were not willing to come. I guess they felt put out by the invitation. Whatever reason, they did not want to come. And then this king, who we obviously can see already here, is full of grace. He doesn't leave them. No, he sent out other servants. Tell them, said the king, what's the matter? Look, I have prepared a feast. The oxen, the fatted calf are killed. Everything is ready. Come, come to my wedding feast. But they made light of it all. They ignored the servants. One sauntered off to his farm. Another went back to his business. And those who didn't walk away had the gall to mistreat. Mistreat this, this, this servant, the messengers. And then they even killed him. Well, when the king heard this, he was furious. That's it. You can imagine him saying, to refuse my invitation is one thing, but to kill my messengers? So he mobilized, he got out a powerful army to teach them a lesson. He destroyed those murderers and he burned down the city. Again, we see God's grace. The story does not end here. There was still the matter of the wedding banquet. Here is a banquet with no guests. It wasn't canceled. You see, brothers and sisters, and we have to, to remember this as well, the wedding banquet will happen regardless. And so he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go now, go into the, to the highways and the byways and, 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 and as many as you find, whoever you run into, invite them to the wedding. Now that was a bit more successful. They did as the king asked and invited everyone they, they, they came across. And this time, the wedding hall was packed. People from all the walks of life were there, both Go figure, both the good and the bad. 
Anyhow, later the king came to see and visit with his guests. As he mingled, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Interesting, interesting turn in the story. Now, whether they were handed out as the guests came in, these wedding garments, or whether it means that this man didn't take the time to even dress up for the occasion, it's kind of hard to know. But what we do see, and we have to make sure we understand, because don't forget, we were told the good and the bad were there. So this has something to do with more than just someone who, who, who was bad, so to speak. What we see from this is that an invitation, an invitation does not guarantee being included in God's kingdom. There is the requirement to be properly clothed. See, we can see that because the king asks him, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? So whatever the situation was, it is clear from the king's reaction that something was not right with this man. Let's just think for a second. Let's bring this to today, an example from today. This can be seen in that all those who hear the gospel are invited. Right? We know that. The call goes out. And many claim to be in the kingdom. But only those clothed, and I'm not talking about what we're wearing, only those clothed with Jesus Christ's righteousness are presentable before the king. We need to put on Jesus Christ. How did you get in here? The man, and, and then the man was, was, was speechless. He was caught. He had nothing to say in his defense. And so the king ordered his servants, bind him hand and foot. Take him out of here, out of my sight. Throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I wonder if any of you are wondering right now, why are we looking at this parable? Or maybe the question that's going on in our minds is, what does this have to do with the Lord's Supper and Lord's Day 30? Well, first of all, I need to be absolutely clear here. Don't go home and say that I think that Jesus was speaking about the Lord's Supper here, okay? I don't believe that, that Jesus was specifically addressing the issue of Lord's Day 30, of who can come to the table of the Lord. It's not even necessarily about that wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven that we can read about in Revelation 19, either. I could refer to it, but it's not necessarily about that. First and foremost, it spoke to those in Jesus' day who did not respond to that invitation of the gospel that went out through Jesus. It also deals with the idea that the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven is a challenge 
to respond to the invitation from God. Hear that? The proclamation of the kingdom of heaven is a challenge for us all. We are to respond. The call goes out also to all of us. And we are to respond in faith. People who do not live up to this expectation lose their place of privilege. And yes, they are replaced by a more surprising group. Christ often taught this. First will be last. The last will be first. Paul taught this. The Jews were grafted. They were taken off and others were grafted in their place. This can be seen by that closing proverb, for many are called, but few are chosen. You see, here we have shown to us this idea that there is divine grace and yet human responsibility. Many, all were invited, but not all will respond to the call. And what we see today is how the kingdom of heaven, it is here. We're not talking about something that is only going to happen in the future. It is already now here. The king, of course, represents God himself. His son is Jesus Christ. There will be a grand and a marvelous wedding feast at the end of it all. But then well, it, it can also be said that that kingdom of heaven was, was brought down to earth by Jesus Christ when he came down to earth. And already now, even though it will not be completely fulfilled until Christ's second coming, the kingdom is here. And the kingdom is still like a banquet. And the invitation can also go out today. Already, because everything is ready. People may come and enjoy the feast already now. And then, this same principle, the same principle can be applied as we think about the Lord's Supper. It is one of these um, celebrations. For we can already now anticipate all the riches of the great heavenly banquet from the form we receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant joy which he has promised, and we look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb. What a, what a wonderful thing it is to take part in the Lord's Supper. A feast that reminds us of the coming feast when Christ himself will, will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. And that's why we, too, ought to prepare ourselves. We must know that we totally depend on Christ. For our seat around the table, so to speak, is not based on how good we are. Quite the opposite. It is based on faith. And so I'd like to preach to you then God's Word as we read in Matthew 22. To summarize in Lord's Day 30, I'll use this theme. The wedding feast is ready. The king is calling. So come.
So if the Lord's ta- at the Lord's table, we experience a foretaste of His great wedding banquet, then we can say, well, who are to come to the table of the Lord? And notice, brothers and sisters, how our catechism reaches, reaches down to the very heart of the matter. We can notice that the list of what is required is made up of all kinds of things that comes from the heart, not all kinds of outward things. Listen, it is a sorrow because of sin. It is a trusting that our sins are forgiven. And it is a desire, a want, to strengthen our faith and lead a holy life. You see, God warns us here with this. God sees right into our hearts. So the question, remember this at all times, the question is not, who are you in the public? How do others see you? The Jews of Jesus' day also looked pretty good and respectable in the marketplace. No. The question is, who are you in private? What about that side of you that nobody sees? What about those inner recesses of your heart? Just think, how, how can we possibly know whether that person sitting next to us is truly displeased with him or herself? We can't. Neither can we tell if they actually believe their sins are forgiven. Are they struggling with the sin? Are they trying to? And do they desire to live holy lives? That is why Scripture teaches us, but let a man examine himself, him or herself. Not one's neighbor or the other, but him or herself. And with that, trust me, each one of us has more than enough to do. Brothers and sisters, when you prepare for the coming of, to the table of the Lord, don't, don't look around at others. Look within. And then I'd like to point something out about the three requirements that we have in our catechism here for those who are to come to the table It is those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, those that trust that these are forgiven them by the suffering and death of Christ, and those who desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. Now hit the rewind button. Back down to Lord's Day 1. There we confessed our only comfort in life and death is belonging to Jesus Christ. And then the question was asked, What do we need to know, not can know, need to know, in order to live and die in the joy of the comfort of belonging to our Savior, Jesus Christ? Now notice the parallel here. First, how great our sins and misery are. Second, 
how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. Just think. We need to know the same things to be comforted and to come to the table where we remember the one in whom our comfort lies. It can be taken further. As a matter of fact, our daily repentance and conversion, Lord's Day 33, consists of the same three elements. First of all, grieving with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin. Then, conversion is also a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. Finally, we more and more hate sin and we flee from it and we love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. Let us remember, always remember, not just when we prepare for the Lord's table, Let us daily remember these three key elements of the gospel. May they be a guide for our lives. We can summarize it with these words, guilt, grace, gratitude. Sin, salvation, service, whichever one suits your fancy. Let's now take a Uh, Just a little bit of a closer look now at those three requirements for those who are to come to the table of the Lord. First of all, the table is not for those who have no sins. No, we come to the table knowing that we have plenty of them. But the question is, do we detest them? Do we abhor them, hate them? Are we truly displeased with ourselves because of our sins? This is an important question. You see, it's one thing if we, it, 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 if we simply are aware of our sins, isn't it? And sometimes we actually throw around that fact just a little, just a little bit too quickly, in my opinion. I know, I know, I'm a sinner. We're all rotten sinners, aren't we? Just knowing we sin is not good enough. It's simply not good enough. We ought to detest ourselves and humble ourselves before God. Do you see the difference? Saying we are sinners is one thing. Having humility and humbling ourselves before God and detesting these sins, that's quite another and so we do not come to the table to show that that you know we got it all together yep and that we are without sin quite the opposite we come to the table realizing we are miserable and that we are in need of the healing that only jesus christ can provide and yes that leads us to that second requirement so to speak and yet we trust and yet we trust we hate the sin we see in ourselves we hate ourselves because of our sin yet we trust that they are forgiven you see this and yet that is the language of faith 
Faith does not only think about and focus on what have I done wrong. No, faith also knows what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. And then we should also realize that we are not examining when we talk about our, our, our faith, the, the, uh, the, qual- the, the quantity or the, the amount of faith we have. You have to notice the question is not, do you surely believe? Rather, it is, do you believe the sure promise of God? The reality of God's promise is what counts. Are you certain of forgiveness? Certain. That's the main thing. Our God wants to see a sincere faith, one which completely trusts that God is true to His promises. This too is very important, brothers and sisters challenge you to ask yourself today, in the week to come, how certain are you that you are forgiven? Do you give that much thought? Sometimes we might want to show almost like a false humility and say, oh, I'm not so sure that I can be forgiven for that sin, for example. Or maybe you might want to ask, you might answer, um, yeah, probably. Or if I say, how certain are you forgiven? Or, or, or you'll say, yeah, yeah, I think so. I hope not. My brothers, my sisters, the gospel is that because of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is a sure promise. A sure promise of God. Because it is a promise of God, we can trust that our sins are forgiven. And the third requirement has everything to do with our thankfulness. As we saw when we compared it with the Lord's Day 1. Faith Our faith, our belief, it takes hold of God's promises. And then by the same faith, we also bear much good fruit to the glory of God. When you you come to the table of the Lord, you can have this desire, Oh yes, Lord, I want you to strengthen my faith. I want to have stronger faith. For then by the power of the Holy Spirit, I could do so much more for you, O Lord. If you really believe in Jesus Christ, you will want your faith to grow stronger and stronger. Don't let it ever plateau. And you will realize how often that faith is small, how often you forget the Lord. And yes, you will want to avoid doing anything that hurts the Lord. And this is also important self-examination, brothers and sisters. We need to ask ourselves, is it? my true desire to really show thankfulness to God with my entire life? 
Do I really want to live with my neighbor in, in, in true love and, and in unity? Or am I happier getting into little fights with them instead? Desire to strengthen your faith. Want to amend your life and then come. Come to the table of the Lord for you are sincerely invited by the King Himself. And so we see that the ones who are to come to the table of the Lord are sinners. But not just sinners. Sinners who cannot live without Christ. Sinners who know their sin, who trust in their forgiveness, and who desire more and more to strengthen their faith. Isn't it, isn't it so comforting and a relief to know that Jesus Christ instituted this meal not for those who, are, who, who, who put the, the biggest smile on their face or who put on a really good show for their neighbors. He didn't institute the Lord's Supper for all those people with their expensive suits and ties. It's not for those who have big egos and all kinds of self-esteem. Our Lord gave us this meal for those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins. We sit around the table. We partake from the pews with others who are seriously flawed but who continue to desire more and more to strengthen that faith. In other words, every single one of us, we are all on the same boat. And what of the king? What of that king and his wedding banquet and all those who refused his invitation? What about that guy who did not have on his wedding garment? Well, first of all, it is true. There are people who reject outright God's generous invitation. Even some who have been born into the covenant and who were invited through their baptism do not come. We could put it this way. Also today, just like there's a history of it in the Bible, there are covenant breakers. And this is sad indeed. Prayer is so important in these situations, my brothers, my sisters. And always, always remember, always remember to pray that also our young people, our young children, but also our young people in the church, that they will respond positively to God's promises they received at their baptism. It's not a guarantee. They are called to respond. And then there are also those who say yes to the invitation, but actually they mean no. In their heart it is no. Our catechism also speaks of these, the hypocrites and those who do not repent. 
Hypocrites, just to make sure we got the same idea in our heads, hypocrites are people who pretend to be something they're not. And it is good to understand this properly. Hypocrites are not, first of all, those who live a life that does not match what they confess. That's all of us. Don't we all do that to some degree? No, hypocrites are those who can't see that, they walk and t- that their walk and talk are not matching. Or they, they deny it. And they are not honest with themselves about the difference. They wear a mask. Well, in Jesus' parable, one of these hypocrites is unmasked. And he's revealed for who he really is. For only God can see the heart. And the king makes it very clear to all those present that such a person does not belong at that wedding banquet. And then there are those who do not truly repent. In other words, their hearts are not right before the Lord. As our form puts it, they continue in their sin. The table of the Lord is for those who hate their sin. It is not for those who refuse to repent from them or who make excuses for them. These members who obtain, are these, these members who, who continue in their sin ought to abstain from the table as long as they remain in their sins. For if they would partake, then they would be eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. And the catechism, actually, like the parable, come to think of it, uses harsh words to describe the result should those who are unbelieving be admitted to the Lord's table. Then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Don't have time to go into that in, in, in great detail today. But if we just think about that wise saying, a little leaven, which is like yeast, leavens the whole lump. That's the principle that is being talked about here. Before such a person is once again admitted, repentance is needed. They are to amend their lives. Then they would be welcomed at the table once again. Let's think back to the parable that Jesus Christ points out to us, how he points out to us the seriousness of our response to being called into the family of God, his covenant. We need to take stock. We need to take stock of our true membership in the kingdom because the kingdom is already today. And it will be. And it will be, it is today, and it will be like a banquet at which those who were supposed to attend were too preoccupied to come. Let us not be too preoccupied. That is a danger we face today. And then others who are not expected to attend, they will come and they will enjoy the feast. The expected are absent. The unexpected are present. What Jesus teaches us is that no one should take attending at the wedding banquet for granted. 
And we too should realize that the church does include people who are not necessarily true members of the kingdom of God. There are so-called insiders who have not truly responded to the invitation of the gospel. Let's not kid ourselves, okay? We all have to be careful. We have to be alert. How often is it not true that we find ourselves just going through the motions when it comes to practicing the gospel in our lives? Well, this is a faithful church, isn't it? I wake up every Sunday morning and come, even come twice. We've had all the right schooling. We've been going to church all our lives. Yeah, we even come twice. We should be okay, don't you think? We give to charities. We support missions. We regularly attend Bible studies. Tick, 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 tick. But let me ask you this. Have we ever, or maybe I should say more than once, let's say at our profession of our faith, have we ever actually responded to the invitation of the gospel? Have you responded to that invitation? Brothers and sisters, realize how we do need to respond to the gospel. God wants you to respond to, to, to His call. As I mentioned earlier, proclaiming the kingdom is a challenge to respond to the invitation of God. So many at the coming of the kingdom of heaven, including Jesus Christ Himself, they have preached and they preached and they preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent! And believe. That's responding to the call of the gospel. Repent. Believe. And when we truly hate ourselves because of our sins, when we completely trust that any remaining weaknesses is covered by Jesus Christ, and, and, and then there is true joy in our hearts, that's responding and then we want to more and more strengthen our faith. We want to amend our lives. That's responding. And to do that, to strengthen our faith, God has given us this sacrament of the Lord's Supper. A banquet, we could say. That where we can regularly take part while we wait for that great banquet with Jesus Christ Himself. Yes, the wedding feast is ready. The king is calling. So come. Say yes to the king's invitation to his wedding banquet and come. Come to the table of the Lord as a foretaste of that great feast. For God comes to you and me with his amazing gift of grace. An invitation of the gospel. Let us respond in faith. And come, amen.